Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their consistency is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good tidings, lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, first and foremost, can you help me wish our worship leader a happy birthday today? Happy birthday, Brittany. And you'll notice that I asked just for Advent that the scripture song be adjusted a bit. I would like for us to stick with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I especially am struck by the last line of the chorus, shall come to thee, (laughs) shall come to thee. There's a future tense to it. And during Advent, this is sort of the, the ache of the people of God. God, how much longer? When will you be arriving the next time? And so I want to keep that before us in a scripture song. We'll we'll get back to the other scripture song after Advent. But for now, I want us to go ahead and give voice to those very human, very normal, permissioned aches that ask God, where are you? As a matter of fact, there's another uh, there's another verse of this song I, I want us to take a look at today. It's, O come thou, day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death, death's dark shadows put to flight. This is Peace Sunday. Last week was hope. This week is Peace Sunday in Advent. And it is that the people of God ache for peace. The peace that comes with the very presence of God. It is that the people of God would give voice to the anguish 
that says, God, I don't yet quite have enough of you. In fact, what I experience right now is not so much your presence, but your absence. And I have heard that from some of you. I have sensed that and felt that and maybe even prayed it out loud uh, here recently to say to God, hey, God, I need more of whatever it is that you bring with you when you arrive on the scene. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. And man, some of you know exactly, exactly what the artist is trying to convey there. Have you ever felt like God had abandoned you? Now there's somebody in the room who's gonna stand straight up and say, nope, not me, never once. Do not trust that person. <laughs> I mean, maybe I should ask it like this. When was the last time that you wondered whether or not God was paying attention? Maybe it was because of something that you see playing out on the screens. I got to tell you, every time I see what's happening on the international scene, I sometimes wonder, God, are you paying attention? Maybe it's something a little closer to home. Maybe it's national, a state issue, but it's one that affects you and your household. Maybe it's your household. Have you ever caught yourself wondering, God, how much longer? God, where are you? God, it would be a whole lot better if you showed up. Yeah. If you haven't felt that yet, you will. Welcome to church today. <laughs> the pastor is saying, if you haven't yet felt the absence of God, at some point you will. You will. You know why? Because it's human. It's chronically human. It is absolutely normal. And, it's, and it is within the experience of faith. Before I go any farther, can we do this? Can, we, can you stop everything else? And would you offer a prayer for me as I lead us into this text? God, that is my best prayer, that somehow you would help me to communicate the beauty of Isaiah 40 in ways that allow for people to experience your presence and your peace in a way that they had not felt it or experienced it before. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Man, that word peace does a lot of work in the English language. Truth of the matter is, this, this word does a lot of work in all of the different languages. You know, if you've been around here for any length of time, that the Jewish word for peace is what? And that word does a lot of work, too. Now, typically, when you hear me talk about peace, I, I want to talk about it as if it is more than the absence of conflict. And all of this is still true. We're just going to add to our understanding of the breadth of this word, peace. Yes, peace is not just about the absence of conflict. We have said this too, like it's a relational, maybe even a musical term. It has more to do with harmony, right? People being together. But today, it is doing a different kind of work. Today, the concept of peace that we are supposed to, to zone in on in the second week of Advent is going to be in our passage and in our sermon today described with words like comfort, consolation, Late in the passage, tenderness, gentleness. And again, I have spoken to many of you who are aching for comfort. 
in the absence of comfort and in the presence of pain. And you should know that I, too, need God to hurry up. Hurry up. Bring some sense of of peace and relief and resolution. Hurry up, God. I know that when you arrive on the scene, good stuff comes with you. But that's not new for the people of God. We, we, have, we have felt this sense of absence, aching for God's presence for a long time. As a matter of fact, if you take Jason's class, and again, if you haven't, you really need to take this disciple class, it sort of hinges on the three E's, right? And I don't want to make sure I get them right. Exodus, exile, Easter? Yeah, very good. I like it when the pastor gets the foot up. But man, that exile one, it seems to be important that the people of God would understand what is meant by the term exile. I mean, and not to oversimplify, but can we, can we call exile this? It is the experienced absence of God in the biggest of ways, in the smallest of ways. Now, Against the the backdrop of the biblical story, let's be more precise as we talk about exile. God said to the people of God, I choose you to be my people, and I choose to establish a covenant with you. What do you say? And the people of God say, we're in. Let's let's do this covenant thing, and we're going to walk together, God, through the pages of history. We're going to walk together. It's going to be beautiful. The whole world will love this love story, God. We We are in it until we're not. And slowly but surely, they had wandering eyes. And in fact, there was a passage in Jeremiah where where the prophet makes fun of the wandering eyes of the people of God, saying every time you are are looking at something else and your attention is taken by something else until finally you have such wandering eyes that all you do is spin all the time. You just spin. The same prophets are saying, look, if you keep wandering away from the covenant If you keep wandering away from from this connection with God, you're going to wander into oncoming traffic and it's going to be devastating. If you keep keep breaking this covenant, you will walk away from the covenant eventually and there will be devastating consequences. In Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah is called on to deliver a terrifying moment a terrifying message to the people of God. This is the same chapter in which he is, he is called to be the spokesperson for God. Then I heard of the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah raises his hand and he says, here am I, Lord, send me. So what do you want me to say to the people? Okay, here's the message I want you to give to the people. This is Isaiah chapter six. Go and say to this people, keep listening, but don't comprehend. This is God speaking. Keep looking, but don't understand. Make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. In other words, Isaiah said, tell the people they've finally done it. they finally walked away from the covenant. Isaiah now seems to regret his choice to volunteer, and he says, how long, Lord, How long will this exile be? This is until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate. 
until the Lord sends everyone far away and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. And then, you guys, it happened. One time at the hands of the Assyrians, another time at the hands of the Babylonians, exile happened. The people of God experienced the absolute absence of God. The absolute absence of God. In fact, here are some of the words from Lamentations chapter 1. Now, the city, the metaphor here, the image here, is that the city, Jerusalem, the abandoned city, is like a widow. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people in Lamentations 1. How like a widow she has become. She that was great among the nations, she that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. There's that word. Her downfall was appalling with none to comfort her. Verse 9, O Lord, look at my affliction for the enemy has triumphed. Verse 17, Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one Comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should become his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. Verse 21. They heard how I was groaning with no one to comfort me. All my enemies heard of my trouble. And they are glad that you have done this. Whoa. Somehow, exile was worse than they could have imagined. Somehow, the absence of God was worse than they could have imagined. In chapter 39 of the book of Isaiah, the prophet sounds the alarm again, this time to King Hezekiah. He's saying it again, Judah's about to be exiled, and then it happened. And as the book of Isaiah is arranged, chapters 1 to 39 and then 40 to 66, after chapter chapter 39 but before chapter 40, there is a long, long silence that lasts about 150 years. 150 years of pain and anguish and questioning and wondering if God has completely forgotten or if God hadn't forgotten their sins. 150 years. During that 150 years, Israel did not earn anything. During that 150 years, It's not like God was saying, 150 years, and then it was just 150 years worth of silence. Broken covenant. Not that God had broken it. And as a matter of fact, you should hear this. This sermon is actually about God long before it's before about you. After 150 years, God seems to say, Enough. (laughs) Enough. Now again, not because Israel had done anything to finally merit chapter 40. Not because somehow they'd finally paid the restitution. They hadn't. 
But in chapter 40, there is a change of tone, and it's just because of the heart of God. Here's what happens in Isaiah 40. You've heard Matt read this already. Comfort. There was no comfort before. Now, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, who is God talking to? It seems like God's talking to somebody else. Well, as it turns out, God is talking to the heavenly council that runs everything. God seems to be saying, we're going to reorient all of creation. It has been about broken covenant, but now God says, I've decided I'm going to re-up this covenant. This is an important point, and if you miss this point of the sermon, it's a little bit of a wasted effort, but you have to stay here till the end anyway, okay? Here's the thing. It has always been the case that when the people of God enjoy a relationship with God, it has always had more to do with God than with you. This is the God who, though we never have quite earned it, this is the God who says, you know what? I choose you, and here in chapter 40, it's even better than that. This is God saying, you know what? Knowing everything I know, I choose you again. I have decided I'm going to prop this relationship up again. I'm going to build this covenant again. I'm going to offer myself to you again. Comfort my people. Comfort them. There's a lot of ways in which chapter 40 is supposed to look like chapter 6 in Isaiah. In chapter 6, you get a verdict. In chapter 40, you get a different verdict. In chapter 40, it's not any longer they are guilty people and they will suffer. In chapter 40 is they are my people and I will have them back. In the presence of the divine counsel, These seemingly employed by God to carry out the will and the wishes of God, God announces this new thing, this new thing known as comfort, consolation, and even covenant. Again, not at all because Israel has earned it, not because God has been coerced or paid off, not for any other reason than this, God's heart chooses Israel again. And there are some people who will say this is a major turning point in all of Scripture a major turning point in all of Scripture, that now the God who seems to have up to this point taken a particular posture toward Israel, now kind of like, kind of like the rainbow after the flood. This is God saying everything will be different now. I am choosing a different posture, and I am choosing to offer myself to you again. And here is the best part. God is still doing Isaiah chapter 40 things. Even today, For you and for me, God's posture is grace, not scorekeeping. Forgiveness and mercy, not vengeance and retribution. Newness and future, not grudges mired in the past, your past or God's past. Verse three, a voice cries out in the wilderness, now they're still in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord because God's on the way. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Way back when, especially those greasy Babylonians, they loved to do their little kingly processionals. 
a conquering king. They would always build these roads so that these kingly processionals could proceed right in front of everybody. And God is saying, yeah, if you think you've seen a good Babylonian processional, wait till you see what God's going to do. And God's going to show everybody on the planet that God is coming for God's people all over again. Verse 5, then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We said it last week, remember? And the little story about the kid lost in Toys R Us, the dad sees him on the security camera, and the dad actually says over the loudspeaker, I see you, I see you. Tell you what, stay there. I am coming to you, and I am coming for you. This is that all over again. God is going to make a way to get to the people scattered because of the exile. Prepare a way for this triumphal processional. God is on the way, and friends, and I need this. I'm always doing my own therapy up here. God is still on the way. God is still on the way. And then Isaiah speaks up. I don't much like this verse, but hopefully you'll like this. A voice, we think it's the prophet Isaiah says in verse six. God says to Isaiah, cry out. And then Isaiah says, well, then what should I cry? These people are like grass. <laughs> Their constancy is like the flower of the field. In response, you hear this. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. Yes, yes, the grass withers and the flower fades. But this decision I'm making for the people of God, the word of our God, will stand forever. In other words, yes, God acknowledged people lack staying power. Like grass and like flowers, people come and go. But that's true both of the oppressed Israel and of the oppressors, Babylon. But again, this is the good news, and that includes those who wonder if God has forgotten about us today. The word of God, the choice of God, the posture of God is firm and forever. Emmanuel means God with us. Today is Emmanuel. God is still with us. Walter Brueggemann says, yes, people are transitory like grass, but the word of our God stands forever. The offer of comfort is not based on the suitability or the qualification of the people, but upon the resolve of God. And all God's people said, phew. <laughs> Verse 9. The rare sighting of the word gospel, translated in your scriptures as good tidings. Verse 9. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Now Jerusalem is going to help to herald these good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Again from Brueggemann. By this decree, the life of Judah is decisively altered for good. But that, of course, is the way of Yahweh's gospel. The good news asserts that the world is changed by God. It is no longer the way we have taken it to be, ordered by an arrogance that required despair. The decree is, to be sure, only a word, but it is a word enormously durable. On this word rests the future of the Jews. On this word rests the future of the world, for it is an exile-ending word.
Some of us need exiles to be ended. Amen? <laughs> this God is still doing Isaiah chapter 40 things. Verse 10, see the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. This is a big, strong, mighty warrior kind of God. But this God is also, verse 11, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. This is the same God that John the Baptist is talking about, and we see it in all four of the Gospels. In Mark chapter 1, here's how... The Gospel of Mark says it. Verse 1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out on the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance, reorientation, because this God will continue to forgive sins and bring peace. It's as if John the Baptist is saying, this Jesus, this Jesus, the one that you're waiting for, is that same God, the same God of Isaiah chapter 40. So now, friends, what are we to do with this word of peace, this word of comfort, this word of consolation? Well, here's step one. What are we to do with this word of peace, comfort, consolation? Ready? Receive it. I will never forget, I was a kid, but I will never forget a guy by the name of Reuben Welch coming to Richardson. Reuben Welch came to Richardson to do a revival service for, I mean, what year would this have been? 1950, something like that, right? This had been a long time ago. But I'll never forget, I, I was a middle school kid. I remember Reuben Welch wiping his nose, he says, and he talked this entire sermon. Yes, at 12, I was locked in on sermons. <laughs> But this is the part I remember. He said, how many of you need this grace? How many of you need this grace? And I would say it to you like this today, how many of you need this message of peace that God is on the way, this message of, of consolation? Reuben Welch said it like this, wiped his nose again, he says, okay, then just take it. It's on offer to you today. This, this God has turned God's self inside out to give you this gift. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take it. Receive it. On offer to you today is that God will find you in your wilderness with the intention of bringing a peace that perhaps is beyond your understanding, beyond your comprehension. What is on offer to you today is a God who intends, we see it in Isaiah 40, we see it in the Gospels. This is a God who wants to come close enough to bring some sense of comfort and consolation. Well, what do I have to do? Well, John the Baptist says you need to just like turn and receive it. In order to receive this gospel and this gift of peace, some of us are going to have to turn away from something to toward, turn toward the face of God. Now, yes, but John, do you realize how bad things are in the Middle East? Yes, no, 
They're probably worse than I can imagine. In Ukraine, again, national issues, statewide issues, familial issues, interpersonal issues. Maybe I don't know everything that you're facing. I would still say this, that the God of all peace, the God of Isaiah 40, the God of all of the Gospels, heralded by John the Baptist, that God still has something for you, for me, for us today, if we can orient to this God's face and voice. It's a story about a guy by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Yes, that one. Way back when, Martin Luther. Turns out Martin Luther was a pretty emotional guy. Pretty emotional guy who could get kind of, I think the term is, kind of get into his feelings a bit and get locked in there. I'm not saying it's not without some reason. Things were difficult. Things were hard. He suffered, it looks like he suffered great discouragement, despair, perhaps even depression. He married a woman by the name of Catherine who took it upon herself at times to try to help him out of these deep pits that he was in. And one time in particular, uh, she did something pretty creative and pretty dramatic, and it was so uh, important that a guy by the name of Herzberger wrote a poem about it. And if you'll let me, I want to read you this poem before we land this plane and gather around the table. One day when skies loomed the blackest, this greatest and bravest of men, lost heart and in an oversad spirit refused to take courage again. Neither eating or drinking or speaking to anxious wife, children, or friends, till Catherine dons widow's garments and deepest of mourning pretends. Surprised, Luther asked why she sorrowed. Dear doctor, his Katie replied, I have cause for the saddest of weeping, for God in his heaven has died. <laughs> her gentle rebuke did not fail him. He laughingly kissed his wise spouse, took courage and banished his sorrow, and joy again reigned in the house. Wait a minute, said Luther. God's not dead. God's not dead. Yes, there is the experience of exile, but perhaps God's not dead. Yes, there are tragedies, unspeakable tragedies, but perhaps God's not dead. Perhaps there is for us still, if we'll reorient and receive it, the possibility of peace, comfort, and consolation. But friends, you're not supposed to hoard that gift either. I was struck this week by 2 Corinthians 1. Happened to come across it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. This consolation will spoil if you don't share it. As it turns out, 
If we were to look all the way back to Isaiah 40, I think it is the intention of God that we would all understand, our, understand ourselves to be in that divine assembly. Yes, to be the recipients of peace. Yes, to be the recipients of these symbols of God's love and grace and comfort, broken body and shed blood. But let me say it again before we gather. The hope has always been that we would return again and again to our origin story to receive grace, but not just to receive this grace. I do hope that you eat so much of this communion bread that you think you are starting to become the communion bread that is, you know what I'm gonna say, the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given. In the Eucharist today, May we hear from verse 9 all over again. Here is your God. If you are helping us today, would you please come and help us set this table? And again, let me say all over again, this is for people who are in any sort of experience that they may consider to be exile. There is a deep hope here that you will receive peace, comfort, consolation, but it is also the hope of God in these moments that you would learn that you're not supposed to hoard those gifts. So I do want you to pray that prayer now. God, I need to see you here in this deep, dark pit, but perhaps God will also draw your mind to the person nearby who is also in a pit, and I hope that you get just enough today that there's enough to share. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, and with them, God, strengthen us. Strengthen us, God, so that we can, in fact, reorient away from whatever other voices that there are out there vying for our attention. Reorient us back to your voice, your face, your eyes, so that we can finally receive some sense of peace, comfort, and consolation, and then, God, nourished by these elements, Nourished by these elements, may we have the strength to share, the courage to speak up and share this possibility of hope, consolation, comfort, and peace. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pews to the left, all of you who are willing to. Remember, please, all are invited to share in this table and in this experience, but none are compelled. If you would rather sit this one out, it's completely in bounds. You can sit this one out. But all are invited. All who recognize their need for this kind of grace are welcome at this table. All. Doesn't matter what you did earlier. Doesn't matter how you failed earlier. If you recognize your need for this grace, that is all it takes to qualify you for this table. So if you are going to participate with us today, if you'll exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive this grace, as you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and press a piece of bread into your hands. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup, Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then, if you would, find a place to pray. We've got a lot to pray about today. Perhaps you are in that pit, 
and it feels a lot like you, it feels a lot uh, to you like exile. Well, then pray that prayer. Advent is a time for praying honest prayers. God, where are you? (laughs) I need this comfort, peace, consolation I've heard about today. Pray that prayer. Pray it with courage today. God's big enough to handle it. Now, you may want to go back to your seats and pray that prayer. It's perfectly fine. If you come to one of these mourner's benches, then somebody will come by and make sure that you know that you're not praying alone. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we'll assume that you are there for a prayer for healing, and somebody will meet you there, anoint you with oil, and pray that prayer for healing along with you. If you'd like to make a special trip down here, this bowl of water still right now, This bowl of water is where you can be reminded of the moment of your baptism. If you need to be reminded that you belong, that you belong to the people of God, then may this little bit of water just jar your memory just enough to remind you that you do belong. It was on the night that was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. And later he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pews to your left and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God.